Now, I want to welcome you back to God Size Living. Uh, last week we started into a topic that uh, has always just uh, been one of those that has intrigued me, has, has caused me to stop and say, hey, look, I think this is something that we as Christians need to be aware of. We're talking about civil disobedience. Um, if you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to it um, because we kind of set the stage for where I want to go this week. Uh, you have to talk about civil disobedience. Why? Because the Bible does. It, it does. Uh, last week, we, we found ourselves in Daniel chapter 6, and we kind of took ourselves to this moment uh, in history where Daniel is getting ready to commit an act of civil disobedience. We, we went ahead last week and defined civil disobedience. Remember, there's really three characteristics to it. One is there, there is an intentional but peaceful breaking of the law. It always takes place. That's part of the definition of civil disobedience. Number two, the act is public. In other words, it's not hidden. Uh, you don't just hide yourself away. And then, and then number three, the practitioners of civil disobedience are always willing to receive the legal consequences of their intentional breaking of the law. They're, they're not there to say, hey, I'm above the law. They're there to challenge the law through, through their acts. Uh, for Daniel, the question is going to revolve around what? Around prayer. And uh, what, what has happened is, is Daniel has uh, been lifted up by the Persian ruler Cyrus. Cyrus has named him as not only one of the three men who he wants to place into leadership in Persia, but as the man who will be his, Cyrus's, right arm. Uh, Daniel, you're going to actually have rule over the other two regional rulers. You'll have a region yourself that you rule. But effectively, he really places Daniel at the very top, if you will, of the political chain of leadership in uh, what we'll call this new region or part of, of Persia, former Babylonia. Now, th this enrages, and I think we have to just catch this. This just enrages the leaders at that time. Uh, they hate Daniel. They don't, they don't know him, but they hate him. You know why? Because you're not supposed to have this position. You're Jew, and, and we're Persians, and we should have this position. They go to work. Uh, they, they actually comb through uh, Daniel's years of service, as, as an advisor to uh, the kings of Babylon. Uh, they, they look in a detailed way for, for maybe anything that would disqualify Daniel from leadership. Remember, Daniel's 80 years old. They got 10 decades to work with. They can find nothing, nothing. So they, they kind of switch gears and go into plan B. Plan B is, so then we'll comb through the Bible, his Bible. And we're going to find out, is there anything that he's supposed to believe in, but he actually has violated, and maybe that'll disqualify him. Well, they can't find anything, nothing. Uh, so that they, they come up with, I call them, just call it plan C. Plan C is, you know what, we can't find anything, but we can use, we can actually use the word, uh, the scriptures of, of his God against him, because we can see here God calls his people to pray. So what do they do? They, they go to, to Cyrus, the ruler, and they say, hey, ruler, we're, we're going to ask you to do this. Would you put into place a unrevocable law that no one can pray to anyone but you for the next 30 days? And um, Cyrus, he, not, he doesn't know what they're doing. So he, he agrees to this law. 
and uh, and puts it into signs it into to being uh, actual legislation. Now Daniel is then faced with a question: What what do I do? Uh, do I do I stop praying, though God commands it? Uh, do I just hide and pray privately, uh, or do I just do I break the law? And um, I, I think what we what we want to do is just kind of go back to uh, verse ten of this text, and I want you to hear Daniel's answer to that. Lord, we just ask for your insight as we read this scripture today. Let's read verse 10. It says this. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he knows the law signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Daniel knows the law, chooses to break it. He breaks it in a public way, and he is willing to receive uh, both private and publicly the the just um, act of, of punishment for breaking the law. So when you read this scripture, what, what goes through your mind? I mean, Daniel's breaking the law here. Is, is, is that right to do? Part of me thinks, you know, Romans 13 verse 1 tells us that we are, quote, to be in subjection to the governing authorities, end quote. Clearly, Daniel's not. He's not in subjection to those authorities at all. He's breaking the law. He's doing it publicly. He's in this open window facing Jerusalem. He's ready to accept the consequences. This is is by definition an act of civil disobedience. So was he right to do this? Is there ever a time when God would call us as his followers to practice civil disobedience? Of course, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Uh, However, I do believe we have to be absolutely sure that we're following two scriptural guidelines. I want to go to these. In the book of Acts, chapter 5, two scriptural guidelines are established that apply to the practice of civil disobedience. So remember this scene with me. Peter and the apostles have been openly preaching in the name of Jesus Christ in a way that violated the law established by the Sanhedrin, stating that no one was permitted to preach in the name of Jesus. Pointedly, they break the law. They do it publicly, and they're willing to assume legal ramifications. Now, in verse 28 of Acts chapter 5, the apostles are given opportunity to recant. The Sanhedrin hauls them in, wants wants to give them opportunity to pledge themselves to to follow this this law that they've made. Remember the response that Peter gives to this. I'm just going to quote. He says, uh, back to the Sanhedrin, quote, we must obey God rather than man, end quote. I want you to note that the word used here is must, must. We must obey God. I kind of like the Greek words that underlie our English here. Uh, they are patho and day. Day is simply translated, it is necessary. It is necessary. We, we must, right? Patho is here a passive participle. It's patharkane, which is um, literally translated to have confidence or trust or faith within. Here's what the apostles are saying. Uh, if I put it into the, the Greek context, we're people of faith, out of this faith flows our confidence in the chief architect. Hear, hear that, that in the second half of the participle. Arcane is architect, which is, of course, God. We're placing our confidence in God, who, by the way, has called us to speak in his name rather than you, who are calling us not to speak in his name. Out of these words are birthed 
what I, I'm going to suggest are two rules or guidelines that attach to the topic of civil disobedience. Is there ever a time when civil disobedience is biblically called for? Well, the answer based on uh, Acts 5.29 is yes. There's two times. Here they are. First, when people in power command us to do something that God has forbidden us to do, we obey God rather than man. What if that means you break? You have to break a law. Break it. Be ready to receive the penalty, but peacefully break it. Secondly, when people in power forbid you to do something God has commanded you to do, obey God rather than man. If that means breaking the law, you break it. Ready to receive the penalty, but peacefully break it. I think these two rules will serve you well. They're, they're based on scripture. And you know what they represent? They represent what Daniel's doing. It goes to his window, begins to pray to God, despite the law that stood against him. So let me ask a question here. How, how relevant is this for the church today? Is scripture's teaching on civil disobedience really, I mean, is it really all that significant for us today? And you know what? I, I can't think of a teacher or of a teaching that's more relevant uh, for us today. I really believe that. I, I don't have to tell you that as the church of Jesus Christ, we're living in a remarkable time in history. We should be paying close attention to all that's going on around us. You know why? Because as Acts 17 teaches us, God has intentionally placed us, you and me, into this time frame in history. So what's going on? Today, we're watching with interest uh, questions around when and how governments might be exceeding their power, where the constitution of nations are at stake. And we should be. As citizens of the state, we ought to make sure that we participate in seeking the common good of all by making sure that governments align with their constitutional duties. But there's more. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we have to pay close attention to political movements and in particular laws that might have the consequence of causing the government to establish laws that either command us to do what God has forbidden or seek to forbid us to do what God has commanded us to do. Uh, in our country, America, I, I myself, I'm paying close attention to things like the uh, Equality Act. This act was passed by conference by, uh, in Congress by a vote of 236 to 173 on May 17, 2019. It's not law yet. Hadn't, hasn't been placed for vote by Senate. But when I, when I read this act, as good as the name sounds, Equality Act, we're, we're all for equality. I'm for equality. But when I read the act, I, I believe there's elements in it that might bring us, the church, to face to face with this question of civil disobedience. I'm going to be careful when I say that. I think a lot of us have uncertainty about the language used in this act, but I'm, I am certain of this. At a minimum, this act will bring us closer to the question of civil disobedience. The same is true of legislation used to prevent hate crimes. Since 1989, the U.S. government has sought to create legislation designed to protect vulnerable segments of our population. And I, and I do. I believe that by far and away, this legislation has been helpful, protecting individuals that need such. In other words, I want to make sure you hear me say, I do believe in the necessity of hate crime legislation. That said, I also want you to hear me say that I often worry about how far these laws extend. Again, there may come a day when such laws will require the church to be involved in acts of civil disobedience. Uh, a number of signs point us in that direction. So uh, allow me to just raise up three questions. Kind of apply what we've been thinking about over the last two weeks. First question, as a citizen of the state, how involved are you in seeking the good of people 
through advocacy for laws, statutes, and regulations that are just in both a civil and biblical sense. I think we're living in that time, a time where whether the regulations are adopted by school boards or laws enacted by our states or nations, the church cannot afford to simply separate itself from the world. We're dual citizens, and we're called to be involved in seeking people's common good. As citizens of the kingdom, question number two, how involved are you in seeking to understand law, statutes, and regulations that might invoke Acts 5 civil disobedience? Again, I don't think the church in our world today can afford to not be aware of what is going on legislatively at all levels. Third question, as citizens of heaven, how willing would you be to participate in an act of civil disobedience? Now, if that question makes you uncomfortable, that's okay. I, th I think it should. We should never adopt a posture that in any way indicates that we as followers of Jesus are above the law. You know what? Romans 13 places us into a position where we're called to come under those who hold public offices of the law. But that said, I do believe there's a time coming when we're faced this uncomfortable reality. A time will come when those in power enact laws that put us face to face with the question of civil disobedience. Today, I think it's right actually for us to ask ourselves, what, what will I do? You know what? Daniel asked that question and God blessed him for it. Well, I, I want to uh, uh, stop there and kind of wrap up our, our thinking on civil disobedience. I'll encourage us always to come back to the Bible. These are tough topics. But I, I do believe that we live in a world that's changing and that's going to call us more and more, uh, both as citizens of the state and citizens of the kingdom, to be ready to stand up for what God calls us to, to never back down from that call to be his salt and his light in this world. I hope that uh, God-sized living is being uh, helpful to you. I want to encourage you to share this podcast with someone that you know might benefit from it. Uh, as always, I, I'm praying for you. I, I think about your families. I think about you. Just lifting you up in, in our world today. I, I'm going to ask the same that you would pray uh, for me. Until um, next week then, know that I'll be praying for you. And I hope that you have a God-sized week.